0: Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Kong Hee. Recently, we did a series on love and many of you really enjoy it. It is no wonder because love is the very essence of God. God is love. Love is the greatest thing in life and it must be the aim and goal of all that we say and do. Some of you may ask, now what about truth? Do we sacrifice truth? for the sake of love and unity? The answer is a resounding no. We cannot ignore the words of Jesus or disregard the teachings of Scripture. The church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And as foundation, we must hold it firmly so that it is not moved. As a pillar, we must live it up high for all to see. We cannot cover up sins or gloss over wrongdoings. If the sin is serious and repetitive, it is destructive to every relationship. We can't keep quiet about it. If it is a crime or something illegal, then for sure we can't keep quiet about it. As much as possible, we must always allow God to work out the sin problem with the person privately, especially if we know that he or she is repentant. Our ultimate example, of course, is Jesus Christ. Jesus knows all about our sins and their intimate details, especially our secret thoughts and action. But He doesn't broadcast it to the whole world. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and He knows how to bring about conviction without shaming, demeaning, or condemning the sinner. Now, God is holy, God is love, and God is truth. So love and truth are perfectly symbiotic, meaning They need each other. Love rejoices with the truth. Love is glad when truth is spoken. Jesus is full of love and truth, or grace and truth. These two virtues, they go hand in hand. Someone once said this, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. That means truth without love makes a person harsh you become hypercritical and self-righteous. On the other hand, if you have love without truth, it makes you self-indulgent and self-pleasing. You give yourself license, to do whatever you like. So we need them both. It is love and truth, love and truth, love and truth. They must complete each other and the two must be held in proper balance. We cannot be truthless in our love or loveless in our truth. So the Bible gives us a very clear command that in order for us to grow spiritually into Christ-likeness, we must learn to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4 and verse 15. Whether we are talking about Jesus or the teachings of God's Word or the reality of any situation, truth must be carefully handled in love because it is sharp like a sword. Now a sword can be used either to defend ourselves or overcome our enemies and if it is not used properly it can cut and wound a person very deeply Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18 in the good news translation says thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword but wisely spoken words can heal a few chapters later proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Chapter 18 and verse 21. So with our words, we can speak life or death. The truth we say can either build people up or they can tear them down. Just look at the Ephesian church. In their desire to uphold doctrinal purity, they became very harsh and developed an adversarial attitude. Their hearts were no longer soft and tender and they became cold and mechanical in the way they talked and treated one another. Jesus says that they had lost their first love for people. So we need both truth and love, but they only had one. And without love, the Ephesians eventually lost their witness to Christ, and their lampstand was taken away. Gaining Bible knowledge is very important because knowledge is power. But it is not the goal of all preaching, teachings, and Bible studies. Paul says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5 from the New American Standard Bible. The goal of knowing all truth, doctrines, theology, commandments of God, the words of Jesus Christ, is so that we will become more loving. A genuine love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith. So, this love is not something pretentious or fake. Oh, I love you, brother. God bless you. But deep inside, you are envious, resentful, even angry. You're distrustful and cynical and feeling hopeless about that person. Then that love is not real. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1 says, the knowledge in itself puffs up. That means it potentially can make a person proud and arrogant, but true love builds up. Only through love can a relationship, a family, a church grow and be strengthened. My goal in teaching you more about Jesus from the gospel, from the book of Revelation, from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, Is not to give you intellectual information, but a deeper revelation of who God is, how much God loves you, and how much He wants you to love people, to be patient and kind, forbearing and forgiving, merciful and gracious. If all the hours of learning the Bible have only made us more cynical, hypercritical, rude and impolite, and dishonouring, then we pastors, preachers, and teachers have failed miserably. All the spiritual knowledge I can impart is empty if it does not move you to love one another. The goal of all Bible knowledge is love. And the world will then know we are Jesus' disciples. You see, love is the hallmark that Jesus Christ is alive in us. And this is what Jesus Himself teaches. Truth must lead to love. At the same time, love must also lead to truth. Love must motivate us to believe God's word and obey all His commandments. This is the evidence that God's love is really in our hearts. The measure and test of our love for God is our wholehearted and unqualified obedience to the truth. Jesus says, If you love me, Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. So if I scoff at God's law and mock my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for believing in it, then something is seriously wrong in my soul. Love must lead us to truth. So truth and love are symbiotic, mutually inclusive. They are like two sides of the same coin. The purpose of truth is to make us loving, And the purpose of love is to make us truthful. It must always be both. Love and truth. Love and truth. Love and truth. They complement and complete each other. And the degree we can balance them is the true measure of our maturity. For the last 2,000 years, the Apostle John was famously known as the Apostle of Love. But to be more accurate... He is really the apostle of truth and love. Why do I say that? Let me explain. Who was John? He was the youngest of all the disciples, born around AD 6. He was probably 20, 21 years old when he followed Christ. Although he was part of Jesus' inner circle, he was always looked upon as the younger brother of James. Whenever people ask, who is John? The reply was, oh, he's the kid brother of James. In the first 12 chapters of Acts, he was the apostle supporting Peter and was always in the background. But eventually, he outlived all the 12 and the 70 and became the most senior leader by the end of the first century. Next to Paul and Luke, he wrote the most in the New Testament. One gospel, the book of Revelation, and three epistles. So there is a lot we can learn from John. First of all, from very early on in life, John was a stickler of the truth. He was very committed to seeking truth and living by it. The first time John was introduced to us, you read that in chapter 1 of his gospel, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. But the moment Jesus was singled out as the true Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He immediately left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. Now, it wasn't because He was fickle or disloyal. No, He was in pursuit of the truth. It was a totally spiritual and honorable desire. And John the Baptist understood it. So He happily released Him to Jesus Christ. John's devotion to the truth is evident in all his writings. He uses the Greek word elitia or truth, 25 times in his gospel and 20 more times in his epistles. He says in 3 John and verse 4, his third epistle and verse 4, he says, "'I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth.'" So his greatest joy is to see Christians believing God's Word and obeying His commandments. He was very passionate about it and zealous to preserve it. Of all the writers of the Bible, he was the most black and white in his thinking. So John was totally not postmodern at all. He thought in absolutes. He dealt with certainties. Everything was cut and dried with him. If Jesus said it, he believed it, and that settled it. There are one many gray areas in his teachings. For example, in his gospel, he draws a very clear line. You either choose to be in the light or be in darkness. You either choose life or you choose death. You either choose the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the devil. You either become a child of God or a child of Satan. Eventually, you will face either the judgment of the righteous or the judgment of the wicked. You will either enter the resurrection of life or the resurrection of damnation. So today you must decide, John says, either you receive Christ or you reject Christ. You either live a life of obedience or a life of disobedience. You either choose a fruitful life or a fruitless one. You either choose love or you choose hatred. So, You see, John deals with truth in absolutes, in opposites. When he writes his epistles, it is the same thing. He tells us we either walk in the light or dwell in darkness. If we are born of God, we do not sin. In fact, we cannot sin. Whoever abides in Christ does not sin. And if we do, we do not know Him. So we are either of God or of the world. If we love, we are born of God. If we don't love, we are not born of Him. You see, very black and white. His definition for someone who claims to be a Christian but still living in sin is that the person is a liar and the truth is not in him. He ends his third epistle with these words. He says, He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. 3 John verse 11. No exceptions here. No if, buts or maybes. Very black and white. Of course, John was very aware that believers do sin from time to time. But he did not elaborate or even develop that point. His concern was for the overall pattern of a person's life. He wanted to emphasize the fact that righteousness and not sin must be the dominant principle in a believer's life. Now, the way John wrote was a reflection of his personality. Truth was his passion. It was his thing. He was a man of deep, deep convictions concerning the truth. And in his younger days, he was unbalanced about it. Truth is truth, and I don't care how you feel. This unbalanced devotion to truth without love make him a very scary person. Together with his elder brother James, Jesus called them the Boenergy brothers or the sons of thunder. You read that in Mark chapter 3 and verse 17. Because they were loud like thunder, <laughs> confrontational, aggressive, brash, insensitive, self-assertive easily angered and very hot-tempered. But Luke chapter 9 became the turning point of John's life. This is the only place in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, where John acts and speaks alone. And it gives us an important insight into his character. So let's look at Luke chapter 9 and verse 49. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. Here we have a rare glimpse of a young John, probably 20, 21 years old, without James or Peter to hide behind speaking for himself. So this is pure John. He became very irritated and angry when he saw a man ministering in Jesus' name. So he confronted and stopped him because he does not follow with us. Verse 49. This man was not an official member of the group. So how could they be sure if he believed exactly like how they believe? Here was John in his pride, in his competitiveness, narrow mindedness, totally ungracious and unkind. There is no doubt he loved the truth, but he had zero love for people no patience, no grace, no kindness. Then, immediately following this, Jesus and the 12 disciples came to a village of Samaria. So, let's Pick up the the story again, verse 51, the next verse. Now, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and send messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. In other words, Jesus is saying, guys, you have such a bad attitude. The Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile, and were considered to be compromisers of the truth. Already, James and John were irritated to be around them and had very little patience for them. So when the Samaritans were not responsive to Christ, the brothers, the sons of thunder, wanted to call down fire from heaven on them. Jesus sternly rebuked the two for their bad attitude. Again, we see John loving the truth. He's not a compromiser of the truth, but there was no grace. No patience, no kindness for these people. Zero love. In this one chapter alone, Jesus corrected him three times. Because even if we understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but have not love, we are nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 2. See to God, truth minus love equals zero. It was at this point, When Jesus began to seriously teach his disciples about love, that God is love and that his kingdom is about loving one another and being a servant of all. Luke chapter 9, verse 48. Right about here, Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan what it means to love our neighbor. And you read that in the next chapter, Luke chapter 10. You may not like someone but you must still love him or her. Now, there is a difference here. Liking means seeing the best sides of a person and being attracted to him or to her. I like the way you look. I like the way you talk. I like your style, your culture, your manners. I like your jokes. I like to be around you. You see, it's easy to be drawn and attracted to people we like. On the other hand, Loving means seeing the worst sides of a person and still wanting to serve and benefit him or her. You see the worst and you still love. You want to bless. The best example is Jesus Christ Himself. I mean Romans 5, verse 8, right? It says, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners. So God's seeing us at our worst. And yet, Christ died for us to serve us, to benefit us, to bless us. That is why we don't have to like our enemies or our haters, but we must still love them. How much? Enough to pray for them, to forgive them, and even to bless them. These are the commandments of Jesus. You see, in life, there will be many people we don't like. Some may even be Christians, church leaders, or preachers. Maybe some of you don't like your own cell group leaders. But we must still love them all. Just like how Jesus loves us all. And how do you love those you dislike? Well, love is patient. Love is kind. So you show patience and kindness to them. Love is not cynical or hypercritical. Love is not rude. So you don't be rude love is not aggressive love will not seek to embarrass or shame so you're very mindful all the time not to behave like this even when you dislike people or you detest them now all these cut john deeply to the heart these were serious discipleship from jesus and he got the message Somewhere from this point, around Luke chapter 9 and chapter 10, John began to change. The hardness of his heart began to soften. And this ability to love did not come naturally to him. Remember, he was the son of thunder. He had to learn how to love from Jesus Christ. Slowly but surely, God transformed this son of thunder into an apostle of love. And here is the most amazing thing. John was so changed that he's now forever known as the apostle of love. You ask most Christians, who was John? Oh, he was the apostle of love. Who was John? Oh, he was a very kind and gentle person, a very loving man. By the end of the first century, nobody remembered his temper problem or his aggressive nature. He was universally loved and respected for his devotion to Christ and his great love for Christians everywhere. In fact, John wrote on the subject of love more than anyone else in the entire Bible. Love, our love for God, God's love for us and our love for each other that love is the true hallmark of the Christian. And this is why John is such an example for me personally. For the first half of my life, I was a son of thunder. I mean, you know me. My life was lived very publicly among you. I'm a, or at least I was, a type A personality. Very choleric, impatient, confrontational, aggressive, competitive, easily angered, cynical, and hypercritical of people and of things. And if I want something done, it should have been done yesterday. It was my way or the highway. (laughs) But now I pray that for the second half of my life, God will transform me. The way He changed John to have unlimited patience like Jesus Christ to be kind and gentle and tender-hearted. Now, by being the apostle of love, does it mean John didn't care about truth anymore? That he's not open to truth? Not at all. But love gave him the balance he needed. Love made his devotion to the truth complete. Till the end of his life, John was very bold in proclaiming the truth. But there was no harshness in his voice or attitude. He had learned the art of speaking the truth in love. And the perfect example is in his second epistle. Go with me to to John and look at verse 1. There's only one chapter here. The elder, that's John himself, to the elect lady and her children. So this lady was gifted in hospitality and likely an affluent, wealthy woman who had opened up her home to run a church. So Christians used her house for worship, for prayer, and for Bible study. She also used it to accommodate travelling ministries, missionaries, and preachers, and allow them to teach and preach to the church members in the home. So one more time, let's look at verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. Now, look carefully at the words of John. What do you find? Truth, 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 truth and love and truth. After all these years, he was still very passionate about truth, about the Word of God, about sound doctrine, about the commandments of Christ. But it was fully balanced by love. Look at verse 5. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. What is this new commandment he's referring to? It is the same one Jesus gave in the upper room at the Last Supper. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. For by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John chapter 13, verse 34 to verse 35. John goes on to say, it says in verse 6, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. As you have heard from the beginning, His command, the new commandment Jesus says, is that you walk in love. So here is the sum and substance of all of God's law and commandments that we walk and live and think and breathe love. Love is the ultimate truth and the doctrine of the gospel. Love is the greatest thing. But look at the second half of his epistle now. Immediately, John balances love with truth. He urges this woman not to allow false teachers to come in and undermine the truth. You see, genuine love doesn't disregard clear Bible instructions. It doesn't just tolerate anything and everything. Remember, God is truth. When we disregard truth, we disregard God. And we disregard Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 verse 6. John goes on to say in verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourself that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. So for sure, John was no longer calling down fire from heaven against the enemies of truth And he was not urging this lady to be unkind or abusive to anyone. But being loving doesn't mean we encourage or even assist a false teacher who is corrupting the gospel. So John told this lady not to become unbalanced in the name of love. She must not open her house or support people who are twisting and opposing the truth. So very clearly, John was still very passionate and devoted to the Word, to truth, to the sound doctrine of the Gospel. But he balanced his convictions with love. These two must balance each other or a Christian can go off. A church can go off. Too harsh and you become loveless like the church of Ephesus. Too soft and you become unholy like the church of Pergamos. We must grow up and mature like John, neither abandoning truth in the name of love, nor abandoning love in the name of truth. This is what John learned from Jesus Christ. Truth and love, love and truth, perfect balance. As a church, we are now in a season of clarifying and strengthening our doctrines. This is absolutely necessary and important because after 31 years as a church, we must know what we believe and why we believe. We are a Protestant, Evangelical, Pentecostal church. We must now be very clear why we are Protestants, why we are Evangelicals, and why we are Pentecostals. Only when our faith is informed by the deep exposition of the Word, will it deepen our spiritual convictions and strengthen our faith, causing it to grow greater and more mature. But my worry is this, this is my worry as your pastor, that as we gain more Bible knowledge, we become self-righteous, hypercritical, and zealous to point out how the theology of others is shallow and inconsistent then we are no longer loving. Remember, truth minus love equals zero. But loving doesn't mean that we can't raise questions with people concerning their thoughts, their teachings, their actions. Of course not. If we don't understand what our spouse or family members are doing, or the instructions and actions of our superiors at work or in church, we should ask. There's nothing wrong to ask why, especially if these questions will help us gain clarity and better understanding. The Bible says that the key is learning how to speak the truth in love, how to say it, how to have a discussion and do it in a loving way. In any serious discussion, it is not just what we say that is important, but how you say it your attitude, your disposition, your motive, the tone of your voice, the choice of your words. You can say something aggressively or graciously. You can say something with arrogance or with humility. Whether it is sharing the gospel or discussing a doctrine or addressing a wrong, we must learn to be very loving in the way we speak. This is how Jesus speaks the truth. Always with gentleness and kindness. Even with people He dislikes or He detests. And this is how the apostles want us to handle the truth. Always with a lot of love. Say for example, you suspect your spouse is cheating on you. You want to get to the truth. So how do you speak the truth in love? I mean, this is challenging, right? You must go in with a correct mindset of wanting a conversation, not a confrontation. If you start off by saying, you, 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 (laughs) all you will get is a thick wall of defense and a counterattack. So I want you to remember the four Ps. You must have a plan. You need proof. You must be clear about your purpose. And you need to be prepared. First of all, you need a plan. So what is a plan? To get to the truth of the matter, right? To find out what is happening with your spouse, with your marriage. Then you need proof. Say, I'm the wife. You can't just go to your husband and say, are you cheating on me? Are you having an affair with your secretary? You can say that because he's going to respond, oh my gosh, you are paranoid. Of course I'm not. What are you even thinking? So you need to have proof. Proof is very important. Uh, Please don't say, oh, I know because I have a leading from the Holy Spirit that you're cheating on me. Even if that is true, you need real objective proof. You may start by saying, so who is Sally? Oh, she's just a colleague at work. Really? It looks like, the two of you are very close and you went out for dinner on this night at this place and that night at the other place. You need proof because most likely you're going to get denials even if it is true. And then you'll say, on those two nights, you told me you were playing golf at the club, but you weren't there. I checked and you didn't go. The more proof you have, the more you can get to the truth then you have to be sure of your purpose, the third P, your purpose. What is your goal here? It is to find a way to save your marriage, right? So you must be very clear in your head. This is a conversation, not a confrontation. And when you approach it, you will approach it with as much love as you can humanly possibly master with as much patience and kindness to the best of your ability by the grace of God. You may be angry, but you're not going to lose your temper. You're not going to scream and start cursing and swearing and spewing out profanities. To the best of your ability, you will stay as cool, calm and collected as you possibly can because you know your purpose. You want to find a way To save your marriage Now without the help of the Holy Spirit This is not going to be easy Not at all And finally You have to be prepared For the truth There will be a lot of denials And counter blaming You got to be prepared for that And hopefully It's just a huge misunderstanding On your part But if it is not a misunderstanding And he readily admits to the cheating Then what's next? What is your next step? Are you prepared for it? Now, one last thing on speaking the truth in love. Whenever you have anything serious to talk about, whether it is on marriage, family, work, ministry, friendship, or whatever, if you are in a serious discussion, I always teach and advise people to use the sandwich principle or what some call the Oreo cookie approach. It has the cookie, then the feeling, and then the cookie again. This is the best way to go into any conversation that is uncomfortable, that is difficult and challenging. You start with the positive, then you get into the feeling, which is the main issue of the problem, and you end with the positive again. So in the case of your spouse cheating. You start with the positive. Look, I value our friendship. I value our marriage. I value you. However, I'm really scared right now. There are some things that have come to my attention that really scare me about us and about you. And i like to talk to you about them. And here they are. And you go through the proof that you have found. And you try to get to the truth. And you always end with the positive. Look, honey, I want to find a way to save our marriage. But right now, I'm really upset. I'm really angry. I need some space. So I'm going to spend the night at my parents. And tomorrow, when I come back in the morning, I want to talk to you more about this. So you start with the positive, and you lay out the issue, and you end with the positive. This will keep the door open for both of you to continue the conversation and it will be a continuing conversation. The same principles, the four Ps, the Oreo cookie approach apply for all serious discussions, for marriage, for family discussions, for conversations among friends, for a work situation, for church life or or a situation in a cell group or at a leaders' meeting especially for uncomfortable conversations. You got to apply the four Ps and the Oreo cookie. Speaking the truth in love is never easy, but vitally necessary. This is all the time we have here today. Next week, we're going to look at how Jesus speaks the truth in love. And how does that look and sound like for our friendships and relationships, especially if we have to deal with our superiors talking to our parents, our bosses, our church leaders. So be sure to join us next week. Come, before we pray, let's worship God for a moment.
1: Holy, there is no one
0: What a powerful declaration that is. We are to build our lives on our love for Jesus Christ. We build upon the love of Christ and you need love. And then we put our trust in the Lord. And what is that? There's truth. When you have love and you have truth, your life is going to be set on a firm foundation that is not going to be shaken. Why don't we just declare it once again? As we worship Him, we declare, we tell the Lord, God, we're going to build our lives upon love. Love is the greatest. And Lord, we're going to build our lives on truth because Christ Jesus, You are the truth. We have a firm foundation. It's not going to be shaken. Let's declare it. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. We worship You. We praise You. We glorify Your holy name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, most of us are in one of the two categories that I've shared today. For the first category, truth is very important to us and we embrace it passionately. The precision of words, accuracy of doctrines, These are all very important and rightly so. And we usually struggle to be gracious or kind or loving with those who don't uphold the standard of truth the same way we do. And we don't know and we don't understand how can they as Christians be so casual about it and we detest them for it. Today we learn an important lesson. Even when we dislike someone, even for really Legitimate reasons, Jesus wants us to love, to always pray, to forgive, to bless, to be kind, to be gracious. There is a great difference between liking and loving. Even when we don't like them, Jesus commands us to still love them. The second category are those of us who embrace love so much that we find it hard to deal with the truth of a matter, of any matter so we always suppress or deny the truth in the name of love. You must realise that God wants us to be people of truth and conviction without losing the love of Jesus in our hearts. We can control how other people will respond, but we ourselves are responsible for our own thoughts, our own decisions and actions. Today, you want to make a decision that you will be guided by the truth of God's Word. And you will honestly face the situation and at the same time, you will also be guided by the love of Jesus in your heart, even if you are dealing with people you dislike. At this moment, why don't you join me? Put one hand on your heart like pastor and pray together with me right now. Just close your eyes and pray because we want to be people of love and truth. God, help me not to be hypercritical or cynical or ungracious and impatient with those who don't value truth the way I do. Help me not to be resentful or bitter or disillusioned, especially with those whom I dislike or detest. Give me the strength to always pray, to always forgive, to always bless with my words, to be kind and gracious to them. Lord, help me in my struggle to walk in truth and live by truth daily. Give me the courage not to suppress or to deny the reality of my situation in the name of love or to exalt the truth of Your Word. Give me the wisdom to always speak the truth in love. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you have enjoyed the Word today. Speaking the truth in love is never easy. (laughs) Not for you, not for me, even as a pastor. But it is the measure of our spiritual maturity. God is truth and He is love. You need to grow in balance for both. You must grow deeper in sound doctrine, and at the same time, become more loving like Jesus Christ. I'm so proud of you, because I know you want to be strong in both, truth and love, love and truth. Amen. And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts, email us at connect at chc.org.sg